This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Home and Away on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Not only are you going to be hearing this on our podcast feed, but this is another cross-pollinated podcast episode as the guest for today was also going to be the host over on his show, but we decided to to do a two-for-one. And so Trevor Everett of the Two Pointers podcast is joining me here on Home and Away. We're going to be airing this on both podcast feeds, so wherever you catch it, we hope you enjoy the content. But with that being said, Trevor, thanks for coming on the show, man. How are you doing? I'm lovely. I'll tell you the same thing I tell everyone else whenever I get to talk draft. I'm happy. Um, like I told you before we started, man, like this, this whole draft stuff and getting used to it and and like the list of guys I used to look at. And now all of a sudden I'm like, man, these lists are 150 some long. And I'm just I love this stuff. And I'm super excited to talk uh, talk a few discrepancies with you i think as we'll call it we don't have a funny title i, I was going to try to work up <laughs> workshop that title with you but uh at this point i don't know i like the, the discrepancy report was all i had and i was like that doesn't sound fun but we'll we'll talk about it we'll we'll, we'll brainstorm something after the fact don't worry but for for anyone new to home and away on the no Slings nba podcast the whole point of this show is to get an outsider's perspective on the nba draft on basketball at large on the inner workings of scouting, whatever the case may be, whatever we decide to talk about, we want an outsider's perspective. And Trevor is the perfect example of that because he follows all basketball, right? He covers the NBA, he covers the NBA draft for his show, the Two Pointers podcast. And we're going to share some in-person scouting stories kind of as we go about this podcast, given some of the topics we're going to be discussing. But Trevor, I just want to get a quick intro from you as far as how did you get started in the whole podcasting scene and basketball evaluation? And like, where, where, where did you get your start and why are you here to today specifically as a podcaster and a basketball analyst? So my, my intro story, I always tell it cause it's not like, I, I don't tell it all the time because it's not fun. I just tell it because it honestly isn't as fun as most people's, I guess it's not like <laughs> here's this long drawn out thing that happened to me that caused me to do this. I've always cared about basketball. I've always cared about, I, I knew I had a, a, at a, not a young age, but I knew that I wanted to get into sports media in some form or fashion, just be able to put out stuff and see what it did. And that's kind of the world we live in and starting out with like your Bleacher Report Instagram pages yep. following those back. We were all, I don't know how old you are, but relatively young for me. They were out there and I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is fun. This is how I keep up with it. But I also watched, you know, as a Lakers fan, I would stay up super late and watch all these games. So I'm like, this is just something I really enjoy to do. I knew there was a passion. Fast forwarding a long time, uh, 2020, a good friend of mine that I've known for a long time, my former co-host, um, I had brought the idea to him just as like a, no offense to any of my other friends that uh, a few of them have been on the show, but I try to keep it to people who I, like I said, I, I know and I trust and I know 
cover this stuff and do a really good job with it. Um, I knew he was the only one that would take it seriously. So I was like, cool, let's, let's workshop this. And next thing you know, we spent four and a half hours one night, just sitting down, figuring it all out. Um, our first ever show was two and a half hours long. And we were like, this is not going to fly. So we got to figure something out. Next thing you know, um, I would say based on statistics, we did a pretty good job of understanding how we grew and just figuring it out. Um, I realized it was something I really wanted to do and really pursue as a career soon. So um, I had to really pivot to sum up the story. Uh, he actually works in athletics in a school here in North Carolina. I'll save the uh, details, unfortunately, but um, I, he had to step away. So I had a complete pivot uh, three weeks before the NBA season this year, going from having somebody like you to talk to every single time. You had a consistent schedule, you had a co-host and you had a, a way of doing things that you were familiar with. And all of a sudden being like, well, uh, how do I talk to myself into a camera? That's the part I'm going to have to understand. So long story short, I've been doing this now and I've, I've, the growth has been awesome. I've really enjoyed it. I covered the NBA, like you said, the NBA draft um, at large relatively. And then college basketball this year was a big focus for me. Um, I'm now actually, because of that, a contributor to the Everything College Basketball podcast, as well as a, uh, a freelance writer for uh, House of College Hoops. So long-winded, but that is the so totality. I gave you the easiest two minutes I could give you on how we've ended up here. There's a lot of random other details, but that is the, the kind of the fun two minutes I give people. I wish it was fun. Listen, Trevor, I, I know the pain firsthand of having a show with inconsistent guest spots as the the kind of go-to for for how to run the show i didn't have maxwell and steven as co-hosts when draft deeper first formed right so any og fans of the draft deeper podcast you've heard me speaking to a mic for two two and a half hours at a time going through chunks of my big board or a mock drafter wherever the case may be so i appreciate the hustle i appreciate the grind trevor i know you know your stuff and i know that you like me you have this desire to not only grow within the sports media landscape, you want to get better as an evaluator and as a scout. And that's what I'm going to find really fun about this show. You kind of said it at the top. The whole point of what we wanted to do is an exercise in which we wanted to examine our big boards and take a look at some of the biggest differences we have for multiple prospects. So we have three prospects that we have picked out for that specific exercise. And then we will talk about a few other guys towards the end of this that Trevor specifically wanted to bring up. And I was like, I, I listen, you can throw any names at me if it's draft related. I'm going to be all for talking about them. So I'm not, not afraid of anything in that space. But let's start out with a player. You actually have a not just a first round grade on him. You have him pretty comfortably inside your top 20 in Kansas's Jalen Wilson. So when we talk about differences on our big boards, I updated my board a little bit over the weekend. So I cheated a little bit as to when we put this outline together, but I still have him at 38 so there's a 20 spot difference between the two of us that 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 is not small my friend that is significant especially when we talk about what it means when you rate somebody as a first round prospect i take that very seriously because that means you're projecting them to make it to a second contract and potentially play out 10 plus years in the nba or have a meaningful role within an eight nine man rotation like that that to me is a very serious grade if you're have like a second round grade or an undrafted free agent grade it's not that I don't see NBA potential within you. Uh, clearly, if you're in my top 60, I think you're going to make the league and you're going to have some sort of start to your career in the NBA at the very least. But I'm not projecting your career to be on the same arc as if I were grading you inside my top 20. So with that being said, Trevor, I am very curious and I know you'll want my thoughts. Trust me, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts as well. But I'm very curious as to why you have Jalen Wilson inside of the top 20 on your big board. 
So this is a multi-part answer, and I'll tell you why. So I cheated a little bit too. Um, I (laughs) I went in this weekend with the very little time I had left before this to... Just just sure up some things. The problem is I want people to understand the way I do my boards is I do them month to month, a completely 30 okay. day cycle. So this is April 1st opinion. So I'm talking backwards a little bit. We're now doing this on April 17th. It's fair. Um, and I'll be honest with you that that is not where he will be in, in 12 days. That is just full transparency. That That's what's going to change. And part of this conversation is going to help shape that. There were some things that I rewatched that were very eye opening. And also the other thing that kind of threw me off too was just, the amount of guys, and this is part of the reason I do it from April to May and May to June, is uh, I think Steven said it to me once. It was like, you know, the, the assignment's not due. You know, your assignment's not due till June 22nd. How you do it's up to you, right? But um, at the same time, the amount of guys that changed or uh, or like basically went in, uh, withdrew and decided mm-hmm. to go back and yada, 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 that's going to change a ton. Because like, I think I have uh, Cal Filipowski in the mid-20s. That's mm-hmm. a guy that he's going to end up like he would have obviously maybe gone up a little bit higher. Jalen would have come down. It's like those guys are going to start fluctuating those positions and in the 20s. It's hard for me to draw straws in the 20s. So it's like, it, it, you know, things are going to happen. These are going to change. The cupboard runs bare in this draft pretty quickly once you get to about yeah. 27, 28, 29. So my opinion on that's changed a couple of times. I think I'm going to land in the I like a lot of there's a lot of guys that I like at least one thing about. The problem is it might not be an NBA skill. That's the part okay. that I'm having to struggle with. So Jalen's is kind of teetering on that line and I, I won't delay it any longer. The problem for me is I have, everyone has a thing or an archetype or a favorite that they fall into minus productive college guys. I'm always going to give them the one up over somebody that might be showing me reasons to think that they're regardless if they're 18 or not, like a guy okay. we'll talk about in a minute. I just think the college production is unbelievable regardless of any of the stuff. I think the ability to create on the dribble has improved over the year. I know that was something that you know early on in his college career was not good at all. Um, and we saw that get better. But obviously, when you you have a team that changed completely and he becomes the full focal point, um, I think that, that that was very important, the dribble uh, improvement. But the other part I like is just sometimes I look at a guy and I go, Did you, do you just fit the NBA body? Do you fit the NBA mold? And I think 6'8", 210, the ability to at least use his body to make up for some of the defense stuff that we'll talk about, I'm sure, in just a second. <laughs> that is the unfortunate part of why he'll be falling for me. But I think some of the, just the NBA body stuff and just having the ability to look like a pro, I sometimes have to give guys that benefit of the doubt. And then obviously we know offensively what he showed this year in a lot of different aspects that I'm sure we'll talk about here as well. So, Not a convincing case for me, I'll tell you the truth. But uh, again, this oh, I caveated the way I did. Yeah, I, I think the points that you brought up regarding the the self-creation, the physical tools, the plus size for a guy who's likely to play the the three position or maybe possibly be a big two. I like all of those points and they're big reasons why I still have them inside my top 40. Right. The issues I have with Jalen Wilson are not talent related. They act they they really aren't, right? And and you may have some negatives to point out on defense. I'm sure we could nitpick. I actually don't think the defense is that bad. My issue yeah. is offensively throughout his entire career, some of the raw numbers have been there. You pointed out his production this year, about 20 points, say real like the, the raw production's there, but the efficiency has not been there at any point in his career. And the efficiency hasn't been there in a low volume role or a high volume role. So if I'm looking at Jalen Wilson as a late first round, early second round pick, and I'm a team drafting him, and then I have to go tell my coach, this is the guy who we're taking with a late first round, early second round pick. He obviously needs an opportunity to prove himself, especially if he's taken inside the first round or if he's even taken higher than the late first round. 
he's going to need some minutes and he he's going to need a chance to prove himself. But if I'm the coach sitting there, I don't know what I'm going to get from Jalen Wilson on a night to night basis, specifically in terms of efficiency. What am I, what am I really looking at with him? Right? So yeah, he can put up 20 points per game in college, but if it takes him X amount of shots to get to that number and he's not going to have that same type of role in the NBA and he's only playing 10 to 12, 14 minutes a night, I'm just not confident in the the type of production that I'm going to be getting from John Wilson at the pro level in comparison to the college level. Now, he's he's a guy who I think the spot-up shot has improved, but it's not great. The, the biggest leap, in my opinion, that he took on offense was – he did show some really nice passing flashes. They just weren't consistent, yep. which plays into this whole case that I'm quote unquote building against him. But the other thing was the the off the dribble shooting, right? His, his mid-range shooting did take a nice step up this year. The yep. problem is how many of those same opportunities is he going to get in the NBA? I feel he's going to have to prove himself first and foremost as a spot-up shooter. Then he's going to have to prove, prove himself as somebody who can not only get the ball on the move, cut into the basket or coming off a, you know, a 45 action or whatever the case may be. But once he gets that ball, it's not just about scoring. He's also going to have to prove that he can show some of that live dribble passing that he showcased and, and sort of redirect the ball, keep it moving within the offense. And when he handles both of those things to a certain degree, then his role is going to be able to build out. Maybe he does get more touches and spots where he wants the ball. So that's really my concern with Jalen Wilson. I don't know how you feel about any of that before you you possibly unpack some of your defensive concerns, but that's really just been my story of, yeah, I see the talent. I'm not going to knock him too far down my board, but I haven't given him a first-round grade for, for quite a while this season. Uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil where he ends up necessarily, but um, I, it's going to be a teetering decision for me. The The okay. issue I have defensively, and like I try to, again, the one thing I try to lean on for guys is the NBA skill. It's like I'm sitting here going for any guy in the first round, for any guy, honestly, in my entire board is what is the one thing if you're going to make it, whether it's a second contract or not, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way with the first round where it's like, okay, I think you're probably going to make a second contract in the league. And that's actually a really good way to look at it. And I'm sure there's someone out there that, is crazy enough to go find out how many guys in the last say 10 years uh, were, you know, made it to a second contract in the first round. I'm sure there's some numbers out there and I'm sure we could figure it out. And that's actually a really cool thing to probably find out. But um, his NBA skill that I think is like, like you said, some of that shot creation stuff is really good. The problem is I, I agree with you. The efficiencies are, are not there. And like an NBA team is going to hold that against him until he proves it, which is why I think sometimes where I value guys in the first round just because I think you might be a G League player for a couple of years and then show it and then come back up and maybe have an opportunity. It's not, I'm not going to hold that against somebody for where I mm -hmm. might value them. Now I do agree. There are some guys around him that I felt better about up and down um, that ultimately he's, he was a casualty of there was guys ahead of them. I liked more or better or guys around him. And I, I think he's just going to end up falling because of that. And the college production was what helped keep me in that sure. same range. And I know 18's high. I, Honestly, it hasn't really changed much this year. Um, it falls into the kind of the Johnny Juzang trap for me. Um, I was a, I loved, <laughs> loved, loved, loved Johnny Juzang. Did not have him as a first rounder. But the point is, is I love that kind of college production where I'm like, okay, ah, I'm like, something's going to translate. And the point I'm making along winded is I think Wilson's was going to be defense. And then I did the deep five I was talking about. I had all this stuff written down about what I saw originally. And then I looked into it again and I want to hear your opinion on it. The isolation defense is really bad. Like it's, it's a lot of the points per possession stuff is really bad, but like 
I watched whatever, I think there's 64 clips or whatever it is on, on Synergy of him in isolation defense. And I think he probably got scored on 54 times, 52 times. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of like, I want to see at least a consistent stop. And honestly, I didn't want to come into this and be negative, but I think it's partly for my own good that we needed to do this this way. So I'm okay with being like, yeah, I haven't been 18, but here's all the stuff I said at the beginning for a reason to preface why he's probably not going to be 18 any longer. So I know you said you think the defense is okay in some spots. What is it that's not like, I know the isolation is the one thing I honed in on, but is there another place that might be something that I or somebody might be missing defensively? So the thing about defense in the NBA, if you're playing on the wing, especially at that that three position now, right? Yeah. So what one thing that we can talk about across the NBA landscape, although by average height in the NBA, the number hasn't really shifted up as much as we would expect based on some of the research that I've done, but you do look around and you just get the feeling positionally, each position has kind of gone up in size, right? So right. when you're guarding other threes, you have to be ready to play up against size. You have to be able to body up other matchups. You have to be a certain level of tough on that side of the ball. I don't get that impression from Jalen Wilson. And I think that's a big reason why you mentioned the isolation defense. Bingo. I think he's going to struggle against some individual matchups at that position. Now, if you play him as a shooting guard, then where that gets tricky is, yeah, he might be better off in some situations defensively, which Technically, that's true. Your position is generally described as who you guard in the NBA. But if he's going to be your other quote-unquote guard next to a point or maybe a combo, you're going to expect more creation from him on the offensive side of the ball. And while he did rate out in the 77th percentile scoring out of pick and rolls in college this year, at the same time, playing pick and roll in the NBA is a completely different animal, right? The speed of the game the physicality of the game, the decisions you have to make at the drop. How it's defended is another one. I think it's uh, how it's defended completely because there's going to be way more athletic bigs that are going to tear him apart that like, you know, I'm just giving his teammate KJ Adams an example here. Like KJ Adams is, uh, you know, somebody that in the, or, uh, you know, throwing out like another, I know a dim bone is a favorite one for you guys of somebody that like, I think can do that at the college level and defend it very well. But there are 50 of those guys in the NBA that know how to defend the pick and roll. And it's, it's, it is scary. Yeah, so I I just I don't see where the type of production that Jalen Wilson showcased in college is going to translate to the NBA level. It's really funny you mentioned Juzang. Like I coming into Kentucky, right? I was I was a Johnny Juzang guy. I thought he was going to be awesome. Didn't work out for him at Kentucky. Didn't really get a fair opportunity. Transferred out to Damn. UCLA. He went on that magical tournament run. But when you watched him at the NBA draft combine, though, Trevor you saw what kind of trouble he was going to potentially be yeah. in at the NBA level. Like he just, he just could not create or get around anybody period. And so he was settling for tough jumper after tough jumper. And you wonder a little bit if that's going to be the story of Jalen Wilson as well. Right. And if you don't believe that he's a guy who can break down defenses or, or break down defenders one-on-one or play out of some of those common possession types, like we talked about, you're, you're, you're making a scary proposition to, to take him too high in the draft. Now, if you have a, like, a, like an early mid-second round pick and you want to take a flyer on somebody who's coming from you know four years at Kansas playing in one of the best conferences in college basketball in the Big 12, yep. I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you on that. But just I, I hesitate with giving him a first-round grade. I think that's where a lot of our differences came. But it sounds like 
you've eased off that 18 grade a yes. little bit and you're going to come, you're going to come back a little bit more towards my way. Maybe not settle where I am. It's going to depend on how many guys in the, how, that I had in the first and that I do the same exact, cause the way I do deep dives, we throw that term around a lot. The way I do them is I try to find one thing that I think got better or improved, or I really, really love again, or maybe like another thing. So like if it's, I, you know, Victor Wimanyama, right? I'd be very easy to be like, there's a thing I like. Great. What did he improve on also, though? Sure. Um, obviously, he's not moving for one, but the point is, is like I go back and even with guys like him and Scoot, like I go, okay, what is the one thing? I don't spend forever on them because I, and I think a deep dive can be valuable on a look for a skill that either improved or that you were maybe wrong about. And with Wilson's, it was that it was that defense that I just I, I know that some of that stuff is good. I did go back and look at some of it again uh, just now. Um, I know the isolation defense was pretty like eye opening, but it's going to depend on a lot of the guys in the twenties that some of those skills. A lot of those guys in the twenties, if I remember correctly, uh, uh, went back to college. So you know that's obviously going to matter too. You know, spots are going to start moving and opening up. Um, but yeah, there's some things that I really like. Like I said, I think he's going to be a guy that's really going to. I think there's a few of these guys every year. You mentioned the combine. I think sometimes just the work, the three on threes, they just, some guys just prove themselves. And mm-hmm. I will talk about a guy in a few minutes that I think really will prove himself in that position, but, um, or could in any setting like that. But I think he's going to really have to be a guy that proves it. Cause I know in transition, he can be dangerous as well. There's just some things on in spot up that I'm just like, they're not like you said it earlier. They're not going to give him the leash. The leash is not there. You're not being handed the keys and, and you gotta be, you gotta give me an NBA skill that you're going to be really good at. And, I'm struggling to still figure out exactly what that is. So again, I hate to be negative, Nancy, but we're going to end up as I'm going to end up in the place where I'm like, you know what? It's okay. 18 was where I had him for a while and it was the production keeping him there. And I'm okay with realizing we've made, made it to that point in the year where he doesn't deserve to be there anymore. Like it is Trevor, it is. Trevor, Trevor, let, let me be negative. Nancy with Jalen Wilson. You're go. you're about to I know, that's a very what... positive light with uh, this next guy that trying. you wanted to talk about uh, Jalen Slauson out of yeah. is exactly who you were referencing that you actually have him on your board right now or you did according to you you did at 30 yeah. right i have not had him ranked in my top 60 up to this point now admittedly that's going to change because we're getting the windfall yes. of prospects <laughs> who are declaring prospects yeah. who aren't going to be in the draft and so by default there are a lot of veteran names who are going to start leaking into the back end of my second round and right. some of those guys, I, I said it on an episode that I recorded last night with Draft Deeper published the, the morning of when we're recording this podcast. Pay attention to some of these second round names that we're talking about or guys that are sleepers really breaking in because some of them are going to rise up to the top 45, depending on how many of these underclassmen actually stay in the draft. And Slauson could very well be one of those guys that starts creeping the back end, back end of my board. And then slowly moves his way up to the top 50. Maybe he even cracks that top 45 range. I won't rule out that possibility, but you need to sell me on Slauson. I'm, I'm glad that we're having this conversation because at times I've spoken with Maxwell, one of my co-hosts over at Draft Deeper. I, I've kind of compared Slauson to like a poor man's Jalen Wilson. So it's actually really oh. funny. We had the Jalen yeah. Wilson conversation first. You want to talk to me about his athleticism and what you've actually seen from him a a little bit up close and personal. I don't buy the athleticism as much with Slauson, nor do I buy the decision-making with him. Now, my caveat to the decision-making is sometimes players are, are kind of forced 
to be in a certain spot when making decisions for their team because they're quite literally the only guy who can get their offense at times. And for this Furman team, it, it, it's Slauson or bust. And that that pretty much broke its way out in, in the NCAA tournament. So I, I, I can give him a pass in some respects, but I don't always love how he's going about getting his points, his shots on the court. I know why you're in love with him, though, and I know why you have a first-round grade on him because he was a very productive fifth-year player in college. He did carry that Furman team in many respects, and these are reasons why he needs to be valued as a potential NBA draft prospect at a legitimate 6'8", 6'7", 210 pounds. Like you, you talked about it with Jalen Wilson, the eye test for Wilson. You can also say that Jalen Slauson also passes the NBA wing eye test, right? If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it may very well be a duck. So <laughs> I was literally about to say that. <laughs> what, what, why, why don't you talk to me a bit about why you, you like uh, Jalen Slauson and why he has a first-round grade on your board? So you mentioned Maxwell, and I, I can't wait to talk to Maxwell hopefully in the next couple of weeks for the for, for June 22nd. But, um, I mean, I will, I will not be prepared for sleeper conversations with him. I know for a fact. But um, Slauson is a guy that I think people for a long time were valuing as a sleeper. So two things. One, I may or may not have shed a very small tear when he backed out of uh, Portsmouth about two days. Before. We all shed a tear in my I, Trust me. I, I was not happy. I was a, I was a very unhappy camper. Um, but I will say I have to give credit to his teammate, Mike Bothwell, who was there, had a really good time. We'll talk about some of the other guys there in a few minutes, like I said. Yep. But he wasn't you know nothing jumped off the page but he was another guy that was really productive for Furman but politely I do think it was pretty much lost in her bus and bus nothing against Mike Bothwell um so a couple things the athleticism stuff I didn't like when you watch a guy on film and this is something I'm trying to get better at we talk about the improvement as an evaluator so when you watch stuff on film there's just things that sometimes just don't come through like you're like okay yeah. i see this maybe whatever that's why i really take I, I don't take in person lightly like i like to try to and i've said this a thousand times for those for those of you that are on this home and away that are listening on my channel are going to be like wow i feel like i've heard this a few times and for your listeners and for no ceilings listeners this will be a new story for them or this will be a new thing but um i value a couple things i value athleticism because obviously when you're in person you know and i'm five nine and i'm you know whatever i don't even know how much i weigh I know that these guys are bigger, faster, better, stronger than me. That is not the point. But when I am able to see that at work against other guys of their size and their speed, that is something I take, like I said, I take very, very strongly. And I and I recall the play where I was at, um, Furman came to, to Raleigh, where I'm here, where I'm based, and they played NC State, who doesn't have a stellar wing defender. Let's just be real for a second. Casey Morsell's not bad, but you know, I would call him more of a small guard than anything. But um, they, they do have they do have legitimate athletes on that roster though in Jarkin and Terquavian Smith. So like they have guys who have Fair. NBA level speed. But not Jalen Slauson level size and that's, athleticism. That's, the, that's that was the part point. that I was yep. concerned about. So I was like, okay, he's gonna tear them apart. And I think he finished with two points. So <laughs> And the shooting was horrible, but it, it improved as we saw over the year. He had six second. points and seven rebounds go. in that game. Two of eight from the floor, one of yeah. six from three. It's about right. as bad as it sounded, right? And it it looked just as bad. So he had a play. I was sitting under the basket. Um, I got these tickets. This wasn't a media event, unfortunately for me, but I got these uh, tickets. I think I was literally the first row behind the cheerleaders on the floor. So I was like, cool, good seats. Let's see how Furman does. Um. And he had this play, and I know this is something that people talk about. They're like, guys do this, and they do the funny things with the ball. And he caught the ball when I draw the rectangle. Like, you know, you know, you have the rectangle of the backboard, but then you have the actual backboard itself that's a rectangle. He caught the ball outside of the rectangle of the backboard 
and was able to put one of those six points down. <laughs> like I've never in my life seen a guy grab a ball like in a place where I didn't think he could reach it. And I don't know his wingspan. I, for some reason, I just, I, maybe they haven't, I know they've, you know, they're going to officially measure guys in the future, but, um, but just some of the stuff and some of the pop and the understanding of knowing where to be. And I'm completely transitioning away from the athleticism story for a second. Um, his off ball movement is just, I think he's just super, you mentioned decision-making. I think he was forced into that offensively, but I think some of the defensive versatility is just like, I can sit here in my, in my own accord and be like, the fact that him and Jalen Wilson are the same measurable, almost identical, but then what he's able to do offensively. And I do think his wingspan is plus. By Sla- Slauson is bigger than Jalen Wilson. Like I, so if, yeah. if Slauson would have been at Portsmouth and he would have got measured out, I do think we would have been happy with his measurements. Let's okay. remember Jalen, Jalen Wilson last year at the six, combine. Seven. He was actually under six foot six without shoes. So he's okay. like, he's not even really getting the six foot seven. So he's, okay. he actually measured out a little on the small side. I do believe what Slauson's listed at by Furman. I believe those measurements when you okay. watch him on tape. That's what I, and that's, I know that Wilson, I think, is listed close to six, seven. Yep. So either way, the fact that they're even remotely, you know, counting height, I know we say counting stats, but like if we just look at what they're listed, it seems like that something's off about it. And I think you're right. Wilson may be measuring down a little bit. Um, the frame for finishing is going to be really important in the NBA level. He's going to be able to finish through contact, um, something he's doing right now, I think, very well. Again, I always harp back to what is your NBA skill? And I think just being a versatile defender with really long arms that I think is athletic enough to be able to, if he is beaten on some kind of, you know, pick and roll switch or some kind of, you know, any kind of on ball ability, he'll be able to recover. And where I think the weak side is going to be really important for him. And I think he does a decent job as, as a weak side defender now. And that's only some of what I had. I did have decision-making as a weakness written down. So when you get to some of the other, um, actually, you know what? I'll say this now. You mentioned the offensive stuff with him being the only guy. Honestly, the one of the things I took away from in person with him was he seems very passive, but I think that was just the style of offense that they were in. And yeah. I just don't understand. He got to unlock it more. We saw the shooting improve. Like this, the, the, the counting stats and the percentages for the shots improved, and I think that was important for him. And I think that's why a lot of people, especially in, in, in your case, will eventually maybe look at those again and maybe look at a the year as a broad, uh, you know, I know he's a fifth year, but this is the year that's the most valuable for what we're watching. And we see what he's improved on. I think this that'll be really important to see is how the offense improved later in the year when he started to almost be like, hey, here's the keys and go. And he did a very good job of that. But I did have passive and decision making written down as a weakness also. So so here's the thing about Slauson where I too really wish he would have been at Portsmouth and you actually got an up close and personal so seat. Mad. At Portsmouth, we will we will talk about more of that in a second with with Demoy Hodge. We want to talk a little bit about Demoy Hodge, but another top Portsmouth performer. I have a lot of the same concerns about him as a prospect that I do Slauson, and his name was Tumani Kamara. Now, I knew it, Tumani <laughs> Kamara. Lo and behold, when he was actually paired with guards who knew how to get him the ball and set him up for success in the spots where he was best with the ball. He looked freaking awesome at Portsmouth, man. Like he he brought the building down. He's the one guy coming out of that event, other than maybe some of the Hodge fans who already existed or anybody who wants to put Sir Jabari Rice back into the conversation in the second round. Like outside of those two guys, Kamara's the guy who everyone's walking away like he's an NBA guy. Like he's gonna go to the combine. He's probably gonna get a real chance to prove he's worth a second round pick. And it's amazing what happens sometimes when you take the ball out of their hands, you ask them to do what should what they should be doing within the role that's best for them. 
and you see the results play out. And when you do look at a lot of Slauson's play types and, and where he's most efficient at per synergy, a lot of them are when those opportunities are created for him, right? When he's not asked to take jump shots off the dribble, where he was two of 16 this past year in, in taking those types of shots. When he is purely a spot up, catch and shoot, catch it, cut, finish at the rim guy, it's amazing what he can do on offense. And then defensively, you talked about it perfectly. He is very active on the defensive end. He, especially in those two tournament games, like even when the shot wasn't falling against like San Diego State, for example, or when he didn't get as many shots we probably would have expected him to have against Virginia, he was all over the place trying to do things defensively. And that type of effort level, that understanding, that awareness on that side of the ball, that's going to earn him minutes to prove himself as an offensive player, wherever he ends up, wherever he goes. And if he's playing with guys who don't ask too much of him, he can be someone who maybe he only gets five, six shots in a game. But if he gets those shots in the right spots, maybe he's making four or five out of six or seven of them. And his percentages look a lot better than what they could be when he's asked to do too much, like that NC State game that, that you referenced, for example, where he was two for eight. There, there is a legitimate pathway for Slauson to be a guy that comes out of this draft class who was taken, you know, mid to late second round. And we all look around when he's putting up decent numbers for a rookie within his role. And we're all looking around going, why wasn't he potentially a first round pick, right? He was a guy, sure, he's a fifth year guy, but we saw him in big moments against big teams. And in some of those games, he actually did show up in one way or another, whether it was offense or defense or in that Virginia game, really, it was both ends of the floor where he showed up. So I, that that's kind of where I come back to you, Trevor, where I do need to do a second pass on Slauson now that we're finding out more about what the field of this draft is going to look like. And maybe he is somebody who, like I said, he creeps on my board. Maybe he gets inside that, that top 45 and starts to make a little bit of noise. So I'm going to ask you this, because I think this is important in the context of, and, and don't, don't, don't kick me from the stream yard when I say this, but <laughs> comps I think can be valuable. And I just want to be clear. And I say comps, I mean, here's how I do them. I go, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm going to tell you straight up, Trevor, you can always use comps with me and you can use comps right. with, with anyone in the basketball industry, because I promise you they there are be. people on social media who say that comps are not valuable, that comps can, I think they can are. measure down a player or measure up player. What I say is, I, I promise you, if you talk to people in front offices, you talk to other scouts, they use comps all the time. All the time. If you I heard can't it all use weekend. Comps, <laughs> if you can't use comps, they're not going to take you seriously as an evaluator. I'm just saying for anyone in the audience who doesn't like using comps, do it however fair. you want to do it. Whether it's a direct one-to-one -one comp, I don't always love one-to-one -one comps, but even like we do in No Ceilings, like Shades Of, like yeah. who does this player remind you of? You have to be able to tell someone who's never watched this player before what they can expect when they turn on the tape for them. And I don't know Fair. how you illustrate that picture without, without using it. some sort of cop. So by Fair. all means, go ahead, Trevor. No. And so it's actually, I wasn't even going to give you one because I'm actually curious your answer, but the reason I, and you said reminds of, and that, that is exactly how I do my comps. I do not sure. post them publicly because I do not believe in it because I don't <laughs> believe it. Well, sorry, let me take that back. I don't believe in what the people I don't. I don't want the backlash for no reason. I think people are going to take it out of context, so I don't care. Social don't media them. is a different, a different animal. I, I, I get it completely, my friend. So I, <laughs> so when I look at them, I know Kevin O'Connor sometimes lazily will say shades of, and it literally won't make any sense. So I say reminds me of because I okay. started out and I grew up as a as an NBA fan, so that was the first thing I had to learn, and I, that was the first type of game. And I know the game's changed since then, but 
you know, even regardless being here in Tobacco Road for college basketball, the NBA was still the first thing I always watched and the first thing I always tracked. So I'm always going to have a better understanding of some of the people I've seen. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring up the reminds of is like, I really don't have one for him. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. So my question for you would be, how do you, now that you know how I value comps, like I just want to get a general idea of it, help me compartmentalize a player. Let me just make sure I don't have one written down to be fair. Um, I do not. Okay. So how, who is the, when you watched him for whether it's the first time or whether it's maybe you can answer this question in better detail later after you do another look back, but what is somebody current or old that you watch and you're like that that's who Slauson reminds me of. I'm telling you that the legitimately Jalen Wilson, like I'm, I'm, I'm not BSing you when, when I use that name. No, I'm, I'm dead serious. Established. Right? So I think would be if, the other word. <laughs> if, but. if Slauson is the best version of himself, he's probably looking like Jalen Wilson on his best days, right? He's hitting spot up shots. He's cutting towards the basket. He is finding other guys off a live dribble. And then when Wilson has his motor running hot on the defensive end, now we, you and I can have a conversation. We just did about how sometimes that's not the case, but when it is Jalen Wilson's capable of making some chase down blocks and playing some passing lanes and, and, and forcing some deflections just like Slauson. So on his best days, I feel like, that's the type of wing that you're buying Slauson can be wing slash combo forward. And if that's within his realm, we do need to have a much more serious conversation about Slauson. Like you're bringing to the table on this podcast. Does he not remind you of Herb Jones a little bit? Like take the offensive stuff aside, like just throw the offense out the window. No. So, so when, when Herb, when Herb Jones was at Alabama, it's, it's not just the defensive stuff that he showed in those tools, even since his freshman year, you could see how he handled the ball and how comfortable he was making decisions for others. And that's why when, when I was working at the scouting service that I was once upon a time, when Herb Jones was a freshman, I remember a guy by the name of Jake Pavorsky. Shout out to Jake if he would ever come across this podcast. He works for uh, the basketball tournament now, does some operation stuff with them. But he walked oh, into nice. our office the one day and he's like, "Tell Herb Jones, I'm telling you, he's going to be a player one, one of these days. I promise you. And you, you go back and you watch – Herb Jones's development on the offensive end. He he was never a shooter, but just his comfort level handing the ball, handling the ball, making decisions for others, as well as finding opportunities for himself inside the arc, coupled with the consistent defensive activity and lockdown yeah. potential that he has. I think Her, Herb Jones is one of those unique players. I don't want to use him as a comp for somebody. It's 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 really funny. So this is kind of like off topic, but I keep hearing in the draft circle, who's going to be this year's Jalen Williams. And I want to tell everyone who says that there will not be another Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams is such a unique friend of the program prospect, (laughs) friend of the friend of the no silly's pro. Thank you, Trevor. You got to be clear on that. I mean, friend of the program. He, he, he is as unique of a player. I think now looking back retrospectively as we could have possibly had in the draft last year. So there are just some guys I avoid using comps for. I do see where you're going with Slauson in, in that regard. I just, I personally wouldn't use that as a comp, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's a bad comp, man. You, you are, you are welcome to bring your own ideas to the table. So. So that's what's, that's what's interesting is like, I don't have one and I don't force myself to have one. Um, and now Which if I fine. don't tweet for the next four hours, it's because I'm still trying to figure <laughs> one out. That's just where I led with that. Um, I know we have others to get to. I will say the one thing that I want 
your answer on in a few weeks when you do your another dive on him was the other weakness I had. I don't, again, I don't want to be negative Nancy, but I feel like in my, in my sell me this pen at the very beginning of Jalen Sauston. Oh year, man, you, you are no ceilings faithful through and through. Well, it's a great, it's, it's a Maxwell Corey. It's the perfect. It's the perfect. I like, it's the perfect brainchild. I'm also a fan of the movie, but it's a perfect brainchild <laughs> of like, I, and obviously they got into a very heated debate, but it's it's also the perfect idea of being like this is almost the same idea but it was just based on the fact that we had different differences in boards and it has nothing to do with selling the person i i value what you think and i value some of the stuff that i still also believe and that's why i think this is so interesting because it's like i think we both are right in our own regard but where Mm -hmm. we have these guys like i can totally understand now that you've explained Jalen wilson a little bit better why i'm probably gonna have him the same almost the same place and i don't feel bad about it it happens but I did have post offense written down for Jalen Slauson as a weakness because I feel like with that kind of size and that kind of frame and that kind of body and all of those taglines for that kind of thing, I just, I was just kind of not impressed. And again, I don't want to be negative Nancy on this podcast. I'm supposed to be selling you Jalen, Jalen Slauson, but I think it's something that I'm looking for as an improvement because I think a lot of the, you know, when he's given the ball, what is he doing with it? Right. And I know the post was something that they, you know, ran a lot of that kind of uh, in out outside, whatever post stuff. But the point I was making was a lot of his off ball stuff with the, uh, with offense was really good. So I was like, well, I have to want to believe if a guy's going to succeed, he's got to at least do something when he has the ball in the hand, which is kind of the idea I got from the Herb Jones thing was like, I saw where you were going with that. And Herb Jones, yes, is obviously way better of an offensive player. I am not naive, but so so Slauson was seventeen out of forty five on shots in the post. So thirty eight percent on a play type that's <laughs> primarily up. around the basket. That's not going to get it done. Yeah. No. The other thing about playing out of the post is you do have to have an idea of when you are a double in the post, you got to be able to redirect that ball and get it to where it needs to go. Slauson averaged three point two assists per game, but if you compare that as far as his turnovers are concerned. He, it was 115 assists on the year to 93 turnovers. So that's mm. not terribly far away from like a one-to-one assist to turnover ratio. So that comes yes. back into yep. if you give him too much responsibility, you ask him to do one too many things, is he going to bring you the results that you want or is he more of a play finisher on the offensive end? Now, again, if he is that high-level play finisher, if he's someone where you set him up, he can make that play for you. And then he's bringing what he is on the defensive end at his size in that positional archetype. That's what NBA teams want. So again, maybe this is all playing into you have some thoughts about him. I have some thoughts about him, but when we marry those two thoughts together, that we get to the point that yeah, NBA teams should be interested in him regardless because of the positives that he brings to the table. And sometimes you just have to focus on the positive, not necessarily all the negatives. It, it's best to figure out what a player can do to integrate them into what you want to do versus just purely focus on what they can't do and write them off because of X, Y, and Z. If, if that's how you're going to approach basketball in every sense, then what, what are we doing? We're also supposed to enjoy the game as much as we are critiquing right. these guys, right? They're, they're all young. Even a guy like Sloss has been in college for five years. He's still young. I mean, we, we can't technically put a ceiling on him. He so you're not be, an ageist. That's good. He, I, I, I am, I am not an age. I, good. We're, we're talking about Des Moines Hodge today. He was like, I know that. And a half. I, I can't know, be, I, know. I can't it's, be an ageist. <laughs> everybody I've talked to for the most part is not one either. I just want to be, and I don't judge anybody if they are like, I can understand guys that are like, you know, and we're going to talk the next two of the next three guys are going to be raw young prospects so 
this is totally fine. That's why I'm glad I asked the ages question now because you know, we're going to literally talk about two guys that are super young and super raw. So just a good, uh, I want to just make sure where we were on the same page. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's all. Completely fair, my friend. So let's dig into some of the other guys that we have. That really the last guy where we have bigger differences on our board. Maybe we still do. Maybe we still don't. Ryan Rupert actually fits this big wing mold. And he's very interesting. Six foot seven with a reported seven foot two wingspan. When you watch him on tape, boy, does he look like one mammoth of a yeah. man out there. You have him at 35 on your board. I have him at 20 currently. I had him a little bit higher than that, brought him a little bit back down over the weekend, but we are still 15 spots apart. I can understand more so now why you would be lower on him, and I don't know if you're still as low on him, but the offense scares me more than it did after my my first run through. Um, If you look at all of the numbers... They are horrible in, in every in every sense offensively. There is not one area in particular where he stands out right now, and you say that's going to translate to the NBA. I do like when you brought up at the beginning of the podcast, you were referencing you like to look for guys who have at least one to two tailor-made NBA-ready skills that a coach can point to and say, I'm putting you on the floor for that reason. That's why you're going to get in the game. I A lot of my draft philosophy hovers around that, that same line of thinking. So to that point, Ryan Repair's offensive case should scare the living daylights out of other scouts. But but I will give credit to Rafael Barlow for doing this interview with, with, with Ryan Repair. His, his sit-down with him opened my eyes back up slightly because he Repair talked about how he wasn't always this big. He wasn't always this long. He actually right. grew up playing a point guard role. So he had to handle the ball. He had to create for others. He had to create more for himself off the dribble. And he is confident that eventually he's going to be bringing those skills into the NBA. So if he has that base, right, if he has that base skill and we give him a slight pass for playing up in the NBL, which is one of the most physical leagues that we have in the entire world, right? Any, any yep. of the youngsters who have come out of the NBL, they have not posted high shooting percentages. I, I, I'm not going to recite you all of those numbers off the top of my head, but Maxwell in particular, I, I love bringing up my guy Maxwell. He's one of the best scouts we have in this space, period. So I'm, I'm lucky right. I get to work with him on a day-to-day basis. But he did a study on a lot of those prospects that we've seen go to the NBL and then come out to the NBA draft since that started being a trend a few years ago with LaMelo Ball. None of them have shot the ball well coming out of that league. Even so R.J. Hampton it, before that. I mean, R.J. Yeah. Hampton was another guy like just completely struggled, and he was what? I think he was a... Was he not top 17? Top our, 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 R.J. Hampton struggled offensively, and you look at him on yep. the tape in those games. He he does stand out athletically, mm-hmm. but, you know, speed, leaping ability, those are things we want to look for in prospects, but when you are going up against guys who can defend you, who can body you up, who aren't going to aren't going to fall victim to a lot of the tricks you try and pull out from your sleeve 
it becomes a problem when you try and score over that type of physicality, that type of aggressiveness. And so I'm going to give repair a little bit of a pass for that stuff, but the offense is murky. The defense, however, the defense is freaking special, man, that that guy is going to be able to defend multiple positions at the NBA level and potentially lock down multiple positions at the NBA level. And that to me is the key. It's one thing if you're coming into the NBA and you're struggling with how to adapt to the speed of the game, the physicality of the game. You're just trying to fit in as like a team defender, right? Those guys are going to struggle mightily regardless out of the gate because in order to be a good team defender, you have to have that chemistry built with those players for, for, right. for years and years to figure out where your other guys on the team like to be, where their best position is, how you fit with them, and, and then ultimately adapt to the scheme or schemes, I should say, that your coach wants to employ on, on the defensive side of the ball. But these guys who can be individual, standout, one-on-one defenders with these types of physical tools, for lack of a better phrase, they, they don't grow on trees, man. They're, they're not as readily available as we may think. And it's that reason why I would still hold on to repair as a top 20 or like worst case scenario, top 25 guy. And if for whatever reason he would fall outside of that range, I'm like the Pistons at 31, for example. Boy, am I running up to the freaking podium to try and get somebody like that because they just aren't as they just aren't as available. So I tried to pump up repair as best as I could, but I also prepared the audience for I think some of the things that you're going to bring to the table as to why you aren't as high on repair. Yeah, I don't think the offense is horrid. I'll be honest, it's bad. Like it's it's. I think there's a difference <laughs> between horrid and bad. Um, I was actually going to ask, like, leave with a question: What is the best thing he does on offense? As of right now, you would think it's him in transition, right? Running out, filling Fair. lanes, and then finishing at the basket. The problem is he doesn't technically rate out highly on transition finishes or cuts to the basket either. That's true. So I I had literally, I had strength on offense, which by the way, I agree. It's not good, but I think there's a difference between horrible and bad. But uh, I wrote down strong going to his left on attacking the rim. That was the okay. that was the strength I had on offense. So I'm with you on the offensive struggles. Like I will say this though, you 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 made a lot of great points, and I and I don't have like he's one that I'm really gonna spend some time on again because I believe that I'm probably wrong at 35. But again, you made a good point. You just had him in you know close to the lottery, and you moved him into the 20s recently. So it's yep. like. Hmm. So if you're doing that now and it's April, like you're going to have another two months, almost literally two months from next week to be like, wow, that stuff looks even worse. Like, and obviously it can also go the other direction. But the point I had was everything you said about defensive, like I'm there, I'm not going to repeat myself or I'm not going to be an echo. I think what's really important to know and why I think I'm wrong at 35. You mentioned if you're the the Pistons at 31. Like if I'm any team in the thirties and he's there at 25, you need to be trading up like now, yesterday, yeah. it doesn't matter. Let's go. Like, let's go get him. Um, because I think the motor is so important and I think his motor is insane. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really important for a guy that has those kinds of, you mentioned the was a guard before. And now like, so he's, he knows what to do with the ball and he's starting to realize that he has that kind of length and size. And I almost feel like he's gotten more of a leash than most guys do in the NBL. But I also think it's, partly because I think guys eventually just realize they're talented. And that's why I think the transition is a little scary. He's run a lot more pick and roll sets than, than I would have thought when I went to go back and look at the numbers and look at like what his play types actually broke down to in terms of attempts within those play types. Yeah. He ran a lot more pick and roll than I would have thought. 
than most guys did. I mean, obviously, Lamelo is like you mentioned the the poster child well, example of they're going to hand him the ball and he's going to do whatever the heck he wants for six. Lamelo is going to do whatever the hell he wants regardless. But, it's exactly but that, what that, happened. <laughs> that being said, sure. Um, I think the shot's good. I do think it's like I think it's there. Like I think the the framework of being raw and having tools is something that you can just kind of throw around. But I think if your shot doesn't scare me initially, at what, is he eighteen or nineteen? Let me just make sure I have that right. Um, I have this really cool thing. Just this is a shout out to my mother-in-law. This is so random, but I have this really cool thing in my spreadsheet where I actually post draft age. I don't post draft age. I post current age in case someone has no idea how old that person fair. is. So repair is currently 18, but he will be 19 by, by the draft, draft time. Day. His birthday is May 31st. I have this cool thing in my spreadsheet. She added where, uh, based on the day that I open the spreadsheet, it tell, it actually updates their birthday live, which oh, is really awesome. I, it's amazing. And I just, that's why whenever I'm like, I know their birthday, hold on. <laughs> Let me go find it. And it's right here. Um, so he's 18, going to be 19. So like, I understand it's like, you know, Ushman Jang was a perfect example last year of it's like, don't, don't be surprised if because of this, this, and this raw tool, here's where he goes. And I think repair is going to fall into that same exact bubble. And I don't want to be, you know, lazy and say that, but I think the shot is the reason I wanted to land the plane with the strength was, I think the shot form is good. And if it doesn't scare me at 18 years old, because I think that's part of where you mentioned he was a guard before. Um, I do think it's a little slow, but I think it's there and I think that's going to be the thing he grows into as a shooter. Cause he's like, can be this beautiful three and D you mentioned like complete ball stopper in the NBA uh, on defense. So I think if that, you know, the three and D wings are just this, this thing that teams are drooling over and put pushing each other over for. And I think he's going to fall right into that mold as long as that shot continues to develop, which I think it will. But the three does have to be there to a certain extent. Yeah. No, at I some got point. It. Yep. So yeah, one of the, th- one of the best things I did for no ceilings this draft cycle is I actually took a deeper look into guys who are playing 20 or more minutes in the NBA, which essentially equates out to like a top eight, top nine rotation role. Okay. What actually goes into those players playing 20 plus minutes a night? Like what are some of the commonalities for them, at least on the offensive end? And we, we hear it talked about like all the time, like all of our favorite, you know, big time media shows, whatever the case may be, they're all talking about shooting, shooting, shooting is at a premium yep. in the NBA. I truly believe that, and the numbers actually do bear that out. The guys who are holding on to these legitimate rotation roles and aren't above average offensive players or around that average mark, they're essentially below average in a number of major categories, including three-point shooting, including shooting from the field overall. They're some of the best defenders in the league, or they have been some of the best defenders in the league. Can Repair be that guy? He has that type of ceiling, which is why we're having this conversation in the first place. But... If he does not replicate that defensive value that we're expecting him to have, at some point, you have to be able to shoot the ball and do something more than just, hey, I'm going to cut to the basket, you're going to find me, and that's the only way I'm going to generate offense. Because if that's who you are and you're closer to Matisse Thibel than something else, guess what? You're you're not going to have a consistent role in the NBA. And for all that Matisse has done on the defensive side, he was he was a draft pick where he was for a reason. But I also had to watch him enough in Philly where if he didn't get the ball on a straight line in transition, get the hit ahead pass, or he wasn't cutting to the basket, he was providing you zero offensive value. It was four on five on that end. I'm, and- I'm on record as a Matisse Seibel hater. So let's just, yeah, that's, <laughs> this is a beautiful example. And I, yeah, thank you. But that's that's the worry with repair. That is the, a, it is. it's a legitimate, legitimate worry. But I'm hoping that because of repairs priors as a guard, yeah. I'm hoping that can carry over in a positive voyage. I think you have the same hope as well, which is why we're a little bit closer on repair now. So also another thing that 
and it's like we mentioned earlier, I don't want to deadbeat some points, but it, it's a little bit about like how you improve as an evaluator. I used to value college, you know, and I do still value college production throughout earlier in the year. And as that, as we get later in the year and evaluate some of the repairs, repairs of the world, excuse me, you know, it, where can I go? Okay. Well, the NBA skill is defense and that defense is way better than Jalen Wilson's as will ever be. Yep. Then why can't, you know, why can't those two bounce each other out? If Jalen Wilson's offense isn't actually going to translate very well. So it's almost like a, not saying these guys are going to flip from 18 to 35, but honestly, that's basically what we have for each example. It's like you have repair around where I have Jalen Wilson and I have the other way around, whatever. Right. On both these guys. So it's honestly something that probably happens here for me in the next few months and understanding where those guys are and what's valuable for them. And and that's one thing like I said, I always harp on NBA skill. And it's the thing that I agree with you. That defense is super legit and super translatable, which is why I didn't have a big like forced argument for him because I do think it's legit. And I do think I also value where you play and how you play. And I love the NBL. I think it's an unbelievable place. That's also why I was a Luca guy. I was like, well, this guy is 17 years old. And I think I literally shout out to the athletic. I have to find the article if I can, if I can, they posted it maybe last year. And it was like what he did at 13 years old, basically mm-hmm. against grown men. I was like, unbelievable piece. Um, but just that's why guys like that are successful because they literally play against grown men that are two times my age currently. And like, wow, he, wow, he's an MVP in a league that's, you know, he's 17 years old, an MVP that's probably the second or third best league in the entire world other than yep. the NBA. Hmm. I wonder if that's valuable. <laughs> like, spoiler alert, it usually it is. is. Yeah. The NBL it matters. And I think that repair is. I think if he's anywhere else, I think we're going to be trying to figure out maybe maybe nitpick him a little bit more. And I'm really glad that he's in a place that I have to value that production. And I think he has been that defensively. So, again, I don't want to force a like, hey, I have him at 35. It's honestly sometimes just the casualty of guys around him. And I know that that sounds bad because like I like Julian Strother more than him consistently on both sides. Mm-hmm. Andre Jackson's one I'll have to kind of really play around with after seeing him in person this year. Um, Filipowski now, and just to give you an idea, April 1st, right? I think Flip's announcement was last week. So Flip is automatically gone. So if you're just going off of that alone, that's another spot for repair, right? Slauson's ahead of him. Tubelis is probably somebody that I probably had a little too high. Kobe Bufkin did pass him eventually. I'm just throwing out some names. Jalen Clark, Chris Murray. These are all guys that like I feel mm, so-so about in some areas. And if repair's defense is that good, I'll do another deep dive and I'll go, well, that's why it's more valuable than this guy ahead of him. So... That's that's that absolutely absolutely all fair points that, that you just brought up for sure. Okay, so let's move into the last two guys that we're going to talk about. One comes with a caveat, though, because <laughs> I want to hear about your thoughts, not just on Demoy Hodge, but your thoughts about Portsmouth in general, man. We we have yeah. a first time Portsmouth Invitational Tournament watcher in person. I love it, man. The Portsmouth Invitational, anyone out there listening to the audience, if you have not had the chance to go to that event, I promise you, it, it's it's like summer league for sickos is essentially it's a great way it to is. put it. So <laughs> it, it, it's a high school gym, completely open environment. Anyone who's anyone's just walking around, you can bump into rub elbows with anybody and you're watching as many live basketball games as you can get for, for your money's worth. You pay one admission price at the door, you get access to all the day's games and it runs exactly like summer league, except it's, you're not watching Paolo Bencaro and Chad Holmgren at Portsmouth. You're watching guys like Demoy Hodge and Tamani Kamara and Serge Jabari Rice and Justin Mutz and, and all of these guys who are seniors or super seniors and they're yeah. trying to earn spots essentially to the next combine, the, the G League Elite Camp, and then hopefully earn a spot at the NBA Draft Combine, where maybe, just maybe, 
they could get drafted in, in the second round or possibly even higher in the 2023 NBA draft. So that that's the idea of what Portsmouth is. Somebody like myself, I'm in heaven when I go to that event. Ma- Maxwell has not been to Portsmouth. I guarantee if Maxwell went to Portsmouth. It breaks my heart he has it. It really does. That that man <laughs> would not leave that gym. He would literally pitch a tent and have oh, yeah. his George Foreman grill go and have a camp out in that gym. And he might be better off in that tent than some of the hotels nearby, I'll be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> He would just love life for four days. But that being said, Trevor, what were your thoughts about Portsmouth? And then you can sort of pivot those directly into what you thought about Demoy Hodge. So I, I did not prepare this, but this is actually hilarious. And I'm glad you said it the way you did where like anybody who's anybody just walking around. It's about the only place in the world that I think I can think of where in a span of five minutes, you can be at a urinal next to Brent Berry. And then five minutes later, you can be handed a, a card from a shark agent, like just in a matter of five yeah. minutes. And then five minutes later, you're getting a hot dog. That's yep. not a hot dog, probably. And it, it, it's honestly such a beautiful environment. I, I am from only about two and a half hours down the road. So when I honestly, I forgot the put thing existed. I knew about it from in the past. And then, you know, really getting into this, trying to do this professionally. I was like, that's Portsmouth is right down the road for me. I was like, let me not be dumb and let me go. You gotta go. Yeah, you got to go. So again, why it breaks my heart that Maxwell, I know he's in Chicago, but like, I mean, just just go like I figure it out. You know, it's like just even if it's for Friday, Saturday, honestly, I would recommend Friday, Saturday, because you do actually get to see everybody like that's the cool thing the way they do it and obviously it's not you know it's third place games it's consolation bracket prize games things like that but it's you get to see everybody at least once and that was what was Mm -hmm. really valuable um but it was awesome to see guys twice like you know i think demoy i got to see twice i think uh jelly walker i guess they're on the same team so perfect i would have gotten to see them twice but just to kind of summarize the portsmouth thing before we talk about him in specifics is you you made a good point where it's like you just the environment is nothing like any other. And I am in the camp of like, I hope it never leaves the area because I know that it is not the most beautiful gym in the entire world. I will be no offense to Portsmouth, no offense to Churchland high school, but it is, I have been to nicer places. I will tell you the truth, but it's really neat because it's, it's not, you're not distracted by anything. You're there and you're there to watch basketball and have a great time. And honestly, it really helps someone like me who wanted to talk to people. And I, I got a chance to do that. But uh, shout out to Global Scouting uh, from SI, really nice guy. But, you know, just to be there and to really enjoy the environment, it, it's honestly perfect. I was able to sit courtside every game. Like, it doesn't make sense yep. to be able to be like, oh, here's this really cool angle of uh, Connor Vanover I was able to get. And I don't, <laughs> not that I'm evaluating his jump shot, but it's like, you know, I'm also not, I'm not just an evaluator. I'm also a content creator. I hate to say that term out loud because it does sound cliche, but I'm there to enjoy it and get something positive out of it. And I got the fact that there was good access to guys that I would never have seen otherwise, unless I was going to Missouri games, going to UAB games. I'm just throwing out a couple of them going to Toledo games to see, you know, guys like, uh, JT, is it Shumate? Shumate, yep. Shumate, yeah. I am I am known to be the mispronunciation guy in my community. So let me just throw that out there now. Um, there are some names I will not get right today. But just to be able to be in an environment like that and for it to mean something for the area and for it to mean something for seniors because they otherwise wouldn't get that invite, that would be my like, hey, it should always be there. And it it's, should be it's great. It's great for the area. Now, all, all the teams are sponsored by local businesses. That's right. Right. Yeah. And so it, it, it really Brown's does help that community. Mike Duman Auto Sales. Uh, I'm just reading a couple here. Janie did you King. did you go to Roger Brown's? I didn't. I didn't. I was I got in Friday oh, right on. before the game. Trevor. I, 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 I'm going to play it better next mistake. year. I know. Yes. Going to play it better next year. I did hear there was like a three hour wait on one of the days though. So that, I was kinda, that, that's exactly why you get, listen, yeah. you, you got, you got to make yeah. your reservations in advance. You got, you got to get that table. Well, if you just try to show up at Roger Brown's, yeah, you're not anyone not who's anyone 
in the NBA is going to that restaurant one of those nights. So, so yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you go to Portsmouth, got to do yourself a favor, get to Roger Brown's that that's a must. But that being said, that, that was a great recap of Portsmouth. Just one more selling pitch for me to everyone out there. Pay attention to that event. There are always NBA players that come from that event. I promise you, there are there will be guys. Rick Barry is the famous one. Brent's father, yeah, literally was uh, is a father. I hope it's a father. At this point, all the lineage stuff messes me up. But he, uh, I'll I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better. Jimmy Butler was a Portsmouth that's a, alum. That's a great now, point. Talking that's about right. you know a guy who can literally win you a championship yep. potentially came from Portsmouth. So. All right, we 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 have sold that event enough. They they yeah, can they can pay great. me for the marketing later. But sure. all right, De- Demoy Hodge, Demoy Hodge, twenty four and a half, six foot three guard, three and D mold. Right, not not your prototypical point guard in that he's going to be a high volume pick and roll guy or a high volume creation guy for others. But he is on the floor to score effectively from all all parts of the floor. Right, to be an off ball guy, but then also to defend his position. And yes. He's an older guy. He went the JUCO route. He certainly rose up from the ranks and made it to a high major college situation, which he took advantage. He took the most advantage of out of a lot of these other guys at Missouri. He had a spectacular year. They had a better season than I think anyone initially would have pegged them to have early on in the SEC. They got upset in in the tournament. I was a little disappointed with their tournament play. I thought they could make it uh, pretty decently far. I actually had them picked in my bracket, but nevertheless... Demoy Hodge is a guy who I have him 58 on my board. So we're talking like back end of the second round, like, buddy, he's barely on your big board. So why are you focusing on him for a podcast topic? Because as Trevor's about to tell us, he tore up Portsmouth as he tore up the SEC all year long. So why does Hodge need to be talked about a little bit more in NBA draft circles? So I told somebody this yesterday, I think it was uh, Phil Dexter guy I work with and fond of. I said, I went in with a list and I don't want to do this all the time, but I went in with a list because I'll be honest, like I, whether Maxwell's article is worth reading all 10,000 pages of it is, it's very good. Um, there's guys on there that I'll be honest, like didn't, some of them didn't play some of them, this and that, whatever. It's just like, all right, you have to have a list and you have to know exactly what you're there for. Like that yeah. was how I looked at it. I'm like, I want to go and I want to see X, Y, and Z guy, whatever. Right. Des Moines was on the list. I also had a second list where I was like, there are need to be guys where, like the list was blank and I sit down and I'm like, who after each day? And I was only there Friday, Saturday for each game where I'm like, why were they not on the first list? Like, why am I here and not going, Oh my God, this guy is jumping off the, you know, off the court from me. Um, and Des Moines was one of those guys. Yes. He's on the first list, but he jumped off the page, like jumped off this plate. Uh, mm-hmm. and it just, I was like, okay, Oh my God, what are we doing here? Why are we talking about, uh, you know, is it come again? Help me out. Dayton's pronunciation, uh, Tumani Kamara. Um, I, I get that he was probably unanimously the best guy there. Des Moines really fought that argument. I will say like, I just, from a standpoint of like, let me just give you some raw counting stats really fast. I still have all the sheets. I like to be proud yep. of stuff like that. Um, seven for 12. This was, uh, the, I think they won this game. Yeah, this is, this is their win on the 15th. Um, I believe this would have been for third place, uh, 20 points, seven for 12 from the field, six for 10 from three, six rebounds, three blocks, one steal in 36 minutes. If you just told good. if you just told me that I'd be like, well, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, it was better than that. It was just the whenever you look at and this is where we're going to talk about him as a prospect. Um, I've never seen a guy so lanky and so like I will say the frame and the body. If you want to just start out with a weakness, like he's you know six three, 
point seven five, I think is what it had listed at. With I, I was and... a little disappointed that he measured in under six three without shoes. Like yeah. When, when when you think of a a three and D off ball player, you're thinking, well, they're primarily going to play at on the wing, which means four. they're going to guard wings. Like, yeah, you want like six four, six five, potentially even like six six if you're that that off ball guard. He is smaller, so if you're yeah. going to play him next to somebody else in the backcourt, you probably want them to be of plus positional size, but. I don't think that takes away from the type of player that he is and the type of mentality he has on defense because that man will get up in your grill. He will play you low and tight on defense and he will take that ball away from you or he will get up out of nowhere and, and, and do, do a chase down block or block a shot. Or he, he is a, a quicker guy, a more athletic guy than you would give him credit for. So yes, the size is a concern, but with what you're going to keep saying, he doesn't play like he's that small. No. And that was, so I wrote down pressures the ball well in full court. That was something that's more consistent. Cause I think we get caught up in some of the styles that colleges play. And I got a very, um, I got a very good opportunity this year to watch NC state do it a lot. Like I said, being here in Raleigh, they are, I mean, that was their, that was, they, they were Missouri to a T like and vice versa. They played full court press offense or defense, excuse me, consistently. So I, I, I was familiar with seeing it and, I noticed he didn't do it as much. And obviously that's the part going back on the coaching and they don't, they didn't press a lot this, this tournament, but I know he can do it. Missouri did it. They were insane. They just, they just yep. blitz people. Right. Um, and I got to a point where just seeing him move and I'm trying to think about defense and separating it from offense. He's super fast. I mean, just, I don't, I don't know if they measured speed. I really didn't even look at the second page of that um, measurable stuff, but um, super, super quick. And I got to a point, I don't want this to get taken out of context or be funny, but I got to a point where I, at one point I would watch him again. I, why I think the, where you are on the floor is so valuable. And I'll give a quick story on that in a second. But um, I got to a point where I about two minutes at a time. I just watched his feet. Like I just literally watched yep. his feet on, on defense and on offense. I literally just, I just sat there hands on my cheeks and I was like back and forth. Like there's <laughs> the, like, it just it doesn't make any sense. His leg size and the shape and the way he moves them. And that ties back into why I'm, think is he's gonna end up being in my top 60 spoiler um moves well off the ball super super quick and it just the ability of the jump shot was unbelievably good the whole weekend and i know that that can happen in spurts but his just the, the style of the shot the way it looked the form the frame everything that was very very good and i was very very impressed um overall and i think he's again the size and the measurables are again we can agree are very scary for what we want him to be as a three and d player but I think he's got enough of a motor to care to put the effort in and to make up for it and be a small NBA guard that can that can pick your pocket consistently. I will do you one better than just the the motor to be an NBA guy. And I I don't want this to sound harsh or I don't want this to be taken out of context. I just told but... you I look at his feet for two minutes. Nothing's gonna sound interesting, okay? Like it's Moy Hodge plays like a guy who is very self-aware right? He knows that he's an older guy coming in. He knows that he doesn't have the, the flashy creativity that some of these other guards do that are in a similar position or above him on big boards, but he's very self-aware in that he has taken to master skills that will get him drafted. If that makes sense. So make shots from where you can get the ball on the floor. Check. Be able to get downhill, finish at the basket efficiently, check. Be able to cut to the basketball, check. Play in transition, play up and down basketball, check. Hit jump shots from all over the floor, check. Play point of attack defense at an incredibly high level, check. These are all things. They sound simple. They sound very little, 
but they're also skills that NBA teams need at a premium and they're skills that will get you drafted. And so that to me, that's a perfect way to sum up Demoy Hodge. The other perfect way to sum up Demoy Hodge is just reach you some of the numbers in which he rates out us. So to, to back up what I said so that I'm not just feeding the audience a line of baloney here, 88th percentile on transition scoring, 91st yep. percentile on spot up, 67th on cuts, uh, 99th percentile operating out of handoffs. And the limited mm. pick and rolls he ran, he still made three or seven shots out of those, 92nd percentile out of pick and roll, 91st percentile on jump shots overall, 87th percentile on catch and shoot shots, 79th percentile on all jump shots taken off the dribble, 82nd percentile finishing around the basket. That sounds like an NBA player to me. And maybe it's not one that you feel you have to take inside the top 45. I get it. But if you're an NBA team and you're sitting there in the 50s and you're looking for somebody who can potentially fill a spot on your team, right? Come in, maybe he's the 10th, 11th man, wherever the case may be, has a chance to play himself up higher in that rotation. But you're looking to get a guy at that spot on the cheap or on a team-friendly contract. Yep. Why are you not calling up Demoy Hodge, whether it's you take him with a draft pick or you you get him on the phone, you figure something out after the fact on like a two-way undrafted deal. 100%. Why is he not one of your prime targets to bring in and be like, hey, we're, we're going to give you this contract. We believe in you. Here is a very reasonable deal for both sides. Let's bring you in. Let's see what you got. And if you prove to be the type of player we think you can be, let's upgrade you to a guaranteed contract. Let, let's let's get you in. Let, let, let's be all in with you, Demoy. Let, let's see what you can do. That If I was running an NBA team, that would be something that I would want to do in this draft. So you again, that that can be a number of different ways to go about handling that process. But either way, bringing him in the building and giving him an opportunity to prove that he can do everything that he's done in college at Portsmouth on an NBA floor, I think would be a very smart risk for an NBA team to take. Yeah, I think it also you have to give credit to his coach, Coach Gates, because I think that putting him in that position to be successful was really important for this year specifically. Yep. You mentioned the JUCO uh, stuff as well. Um, I don't have much more because I think it all of that stuff is is kind of just like you said. It's actually a beautiful way to sum it up. Is like all of the strengths just kind of like work well together, right? Yeah. And that's obviously what gets him drafted. And I honestly think what probably happens for the sake of both parties is I think he falls into that mold where he's the first guy that we get a Woj tweet from on draft night, where it's like Demoy Hodge has signed with X team because it fits his camp very well. It fits the team very well. And it's honestly, you hear about stories. I learned last year, I talked to somebody, um, I think was it JD Davidson that got drafted by the Celtics. Is that right? Yes. Yep. I talked to somebody who was somehow knew what was going on with that situation. And, I was very surprised and I knew that guys did this, but like the whole turning down a draft pick thing, basically like, don't take us. We want to pick our team, uh, you know, in, in five minutes after the draft's over and work out the details. I had to get used to that. Cause honestly, it's something that I, I was very unaware of for a long time. And like, you know, I know JD Davidson was drafted, but like they wanted to not be drafted more than they wanted to pick the team he was going to instead. And that was a good example, but um, just of a last year guy, but I think Des Moines will be deservingly should be drafted. I said that to somebody this weekend, um, but also at the same time, it's I'm not shocked if they're like him, him and his agent are like, no, no, we want to pick exactly where we're going so I can get the ball and it be something that develops me better. Um, and I think he will deserve whichever happens. Absolutely. 110% fair. So that is, that is our Des Moines Hodge pitch for everyone in the audience. Pay attention to him. Watch some film back on him. I promise you're going to come away 
with some of the same thoughts that we've shared. If he, if he ends up being a poor man's Marcus Smart, isn't that a player you kind of want on your roster? So, somewhere on your roster to be able to look down your bench and say, if I could potentially bring in that type of player and put him on the floor, like, but why not? You're, you're kind of laughing and chuckling. Is, is that like a comp that you're like, no, you're I'm off, just you're off your rocker or what? No, I'm just trying to figure out what a poor man's Marcus Smart is. Like, I like to think of the actual it's guy. It's Hodge. That's I, that's what that is. It's, yeah, it's, I think you're right. It's Smart. Smart. Smart wasn't like. I mean, I wasn't jumping off the page when you know. And granted, he's he was a good defender in college, but I wasn't like falling in love. And I'm not fully in love with Demoy Hodge's defense either. But that's okay. And I, man, that is a really good one. Marcus yeah, Smart was a fantastic talent in college. He yeah. was the definition of do it all player yeah. for Oklahoma State. Went to the Boston Celtics at that spot for a reason has played spectacularly yeah. for Boston, no matter how many times some of the fans may have wanted to pull their hair out because of some of the things that Marcus smart does on the court when he has the ball in his hands a little too often, you want Marcus smart on your team period. And I want somebody like Demoy Hodge on my team. I, I like it now that you say it, cause I'm sitting here looking at their measurables and just to make sure I'm at least in the same headspace with the comp. And uh, this is such a small document, but like, the wingspan would be the only thing that would scare me a little with Demoy, with it being, I think it was just under six, six, but who cares? I, I think that's a perfect analogy. And I'm, yeah, I'm going to pencil that one in for a, a good, like way to compartmentalize him. And honestly, I maybe like him better now. Hopefully, so. hopefully when I say that I'm not giving our own Tyler Rucker, uh, the, our resident Boston Celtics fan, a heart attack by, by using Marcus smarts name with any prospect. Hope, hopefully I'm not, no, hopefully Tyler not. understands where I'm coming from, but all right. Last guy that, that we'll quickly touch on because you essentially wanted me to give you a selling pitch on him. Pretty much. <laughs> this were to be our original plan of, hey, Nate, you're coming on the two-pointers podcast. We, we flipped around our, our schedules a little bit and did this, but I'm still going to give you the sales pitch. So Bilal Koulibaly, right? I, I have said this man's name a ton over the last few weeks. I'm going to probably keep saying his name a ton, but for good reason. He has moved up to 12th on my personal big board. So Trevor, I'm going to give you a sales pitch. You, you stop me when I've sold you on him being a potential top 20 all the way up to lottery prospect. Okay. Okay. Six foot six, possibly six foot seven. I think he has, I think he has at least a plus three plus four wingspan could potentially be even longer than that moves his feet as well as almost any other wing that I've evaluated in my time doing this. So that's going back to the 2011 NBA draft was when I really started to get my feet wet in the evaluation process. That's that's 12 years. Some of the best feet I've seen best Euro step I've seen from a pure wing in the time I've been doing this evaluation process can handle the ball at his size can get downhill can create shots for himself not only finishes around con contact and over guys, but finishes through them. And in turn, on defense, he absorbs contact incredibly well. So he's strong. He's built well. I mentioned the size, the measurables, the speed, the, the foot speed, the lateral mobility. He moves his hips really well. The jump shot, he does have to speed up that puppy on spot-up shots. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue against that. But he's shown improvement in the spot-up game. He can be a catch-and-shoot guy. He's shown improvement as a pull-up jump shooter. And then you take into account what he did in the junior division this year. So he has not been playing up with, with Victor in, in the Egg League for, for Met 92. He was in the junior division. But in that junior division, 22 points per game, over six rebounds, two and a half assists, efficient shooting splits from all over the floor, over 2.6 steals, I believe, 1.2 blocks, 
29.1 PER, 62.7 true shooting percentage. Did any of those things jump out at you and say, we should probably take them a little bit more seriously for the 2023 NBA draft? So that's what's beautiful about this process. Um, taking more seriously and having him at 12 are two completely different things, <laughs> which is why, which is what, by the way, I, I, I see that's it. fair. Like, I, that's I completely it. fair. But the beautiful thing about this whole process is like, I'm never going to be like hating somebody for where they have somebody because it's ultimately their opinion. Now, granted, take, listen to what they say. And if it sounds ridiculous, then call it, you know, if it's just what you say earlier, a duck is a duck. It walks like a duck. I, if it's Sir, you can, you can say that I'm ridiculous at any point no, but, in this but podcast. You I don't think, I that. think calling something, you know, if it's a spade, it's a, I, I think I grew up on the term. It was like, a, if it's a spade, it's a spade or whatever, you know, call a spade a spade. But, um, I'm never going to devalue someone's opinion unless it sounds like they're off their rocker. And you just gave me 12 things. I think if I wrote them all down quickly enough, I think you gave me 12 things that I'm going to now go back in and I'll just give you the three things I had written down. Uh, one of the most shiftiest, shiftiest, quickest side to side movement players. Yeah. And NBA movement patterns for a wing check. Yep. Period. Yeah. I had that written down shifty speed, great in transition. One of the best I've seen do that in a long time. Um, and I think it almost falls into that same repair, like lazy analogy where it's like the raw talent is there. And I think some of that stuff will get better because I think the fact that he's so young is so important for his development. If you just laid out a great case of like, if he's doing this stuff now, what can he do with NBA players around him? So it's, it's not just the things that I listed out Trevor, but I think the most important thing that I didn't touch on, I was waiting to touch on it, but I just wanted to get some of your thoughts, but, and you're going to keep giving me your thoughts, but he doesn't play like an 18 year old. He no, operates within fair. the flow of the offense completely, and he understands the sets that are being run, the sets that are being called, where he's supposed to be within those plays, what he's supposed to be doing, really honestly on both ends of the floor. You you don't see him out of place, or he never looks lost within any of the games that I've seen. him. And I know that that junior division tape, it's really hard to find. I understand if people haven't watched enough of Koulibaly, but now that he's fair. playing up with Victor, we've started to see him really put it together in some of these games, and you can get... A, a, a whole game's worth uh, of Koulibaly next to Victor Wembanyama. You see him quite literally playing off of a guy who has generational level talent coming into the NBA. You can now see what he looks like alongside other good players because that Met 92 team is good. They yeah. have guys who have been in the NBA next to Victor. They have guys who are very hopeful of getting to the NBA next to Victor. You obviously have Victor, and now you have a guy like Bilal Koulibaly. You're able to see him flow within the offense as well as the defense on both sides of the ball. He fits in at 18 years old. No, and honestly, you most of that stuff was what I had left, so that's perfect. The reason, and I'm glad you touched it very, very quickly in there at the beginning, you said the jump shot is a little slow, and that was one of the biggest glaring weaknesses was yep. just if he's going to be in that frame, he needs to have the ability to, and especially I think that'll be where he grows into some of his on-ball stuff. I think some of the on-ball creation, you're going to have to have a faster jump shot for some of that stuff. I actually I know, like his pull-up jump shot from the mid-range. When he's yeah, when he's fading to his right around the free-throw line, he's able to rise up with that. I actually like the shot. That one was actually very prevalent in the uh, his his end of year. I don't know if you call it. You guys do midterms, but like whatever his we, end we of year We call the end of the year the, the finals over finals, No yeah. Ceilings, our YouTube channel. Yeah. Yes, so, it's, a, it's a shameless plug. No Ceilings. That step to the right was – no, but that step to the right was a lot of the what was featured, and it was that, yep. okay, it's quick, and that's part of where the shiftiness comes from is I think that that's fine, but as you grow out into your body and into your frame, I'm going to want you to take a three at the NBA level more consistently, and I think that's where I want to see it improve, but I know it mm -hmm. can. Um, I'll be honest, unranked because of stubbornness. And I told you this off recording. I said, he is there because I didn't want him to be there. <laughs> I want him to just do another full year where he is and develop 
and then be like, why is he not the number one or two or three overall pick? Because I think next year is wide open. I so have that's my so thoughts, so that that's the it. thing. That's the thing about why I have him ranked in the lottery now. Why I have him at that twelve spot. So if he if he does not declare for this year, Trevor, and he comes back, and we're looking at him as a twenty twenty four guy, what's going to stop me from putting him preseason top five or top six? And or if one. I have him if preseason have him top now, five or top one. six, I. <laughs> Settle down a little bit. Settle down. I, I I can't. I haven't done enough homework on the 2024 guys to say I'd put them number one on the board. I, I, I've probably watched I'm, eight of them. Yeah. I'm, I'm crazy. I'm delusional, but I'm not that crazy and delusional. But that being said, if I'm still throwing out like top five, top six range next year, why shouldn't I consider them for the lottery this year? Especially when sure. I'm looking around some of the other guys in that range. I have questions about a lot of those guys or those guys don't have the same measurables and physical tools as somebody like Koulibaly. And it's just, I, I keep, I, I went down that list that I read off to you and I'm just checking boxes as yep. I keep going. And the more boxes I check, the more I was like, so he started out as a top 40 guy for me. Then he broke into the top 30. Then I got him top 25. Then I got him top 20. And then I'm just sitting there thinking, well, screw it. If I really do believe in him this much, and Fair. I'd be jumping at the bit to draft him. Why am I not putting him in my lottery, right? My rankings shouldn't just be a reflection of where I feel in relation to consensus. They should be how I, pardon my French, fucking feel. They should be how I feel that's right. about these players. And that's why I have him as a top 12 guy. And I, I perfectly understand why you didn't rank him. And wherever you end up ranking him, when you do your next edition of your board, I'll be curious to know. But I think people are going to start getting him. Maybe they don't get him in the lottery. Maybe they do. But I do think evaluators will start putting him closer to where I have him. I, I truly believe that over the next month. So two things I'll end with uh, on his his just this whole conversation is that sometimes, um, and for my channel, that will be a, that will be a loud beep noise. But uh, <laughs> it's all good. Easy, easy to fix. It's it, it's like when somebody comes in the Zach Lowe podcast and all of a sudden you got to You got to so put funny. the producers to work. It's but. so funny. I love Zach Lowe because he's like, I don't care. I leave it in, but it has to be blurred. <laughs> it is great. Um, I'm probably going to change that soon, but it is what it is. I don't care. So here's the point is you made a really good po point where you're, you know, you're like, well, here's all these things. And I told you at the beginning, I like at least one NBA skill. You probably gave me four at minimum like, yeah. of actual translatable NBA skills. So why I'm not having him there again. Thank you for understanding. It's the stubbornness of, again, going back to how people feel. It, it, honestly, the, people are going to listen to this and they're going to. I like, didn't, I didn't have Kobe Buffkin inside my top 60 for the longest time. Because me neither. I truly, I truly didn't believe that he was going to be a this year guy. And then the more, the more the mission went now. along. <laughs> The, the more Metcalf got in all of our ears about guys, I'm telling you, he's going to be the Dale and Terry of this draft class. And he kept on saying that in a group chat. And I'm like, shut up, Metcalf. Like, I don't I don't want to keep don't adding to my me. board when I haven't even gone through enough of my top 60. But it just got to the point where he, he had to rise up my board. And now guess what? Guess what? Kobe Bufkin, as of today, sits at 15 on my yep. personal big board. And it's like... I, I get that you don't want to take these drastic leaps sometimes with these prospects, but at the same time, especially someone like me who had like I had I have a full-time job, right? I'm not able to Amen. watch 400 some players in, in the country like every single hour of the day and, and give my up-to-date, up-to-the-minute big board. But when I do sit down and I have a full body of work in which I can evaluate these players, at some point, yep. I've got to just say, screw it. I'm going to put my personal pride aside. I'm going to give this guy the major jump on my big board because I care about doing my best 
to give a fair evaluation, but also to get that fair evaluation right. At some point, you just have to make the big move to prospect. And that was going to be the last point was understanding why, like sometimes it's just my, it's just, if I believe in it, why shouldn't it be the case? And that was the Taylor Hendricks thing for me all year was like, I kept watching Taylor Hendricks when he was still a sleeper. And I had him like, I think in the late twenties, maybe early thirties. And I think my very first one in January, I didn't post outside of 30 just because I wanted to feel better about what I had finished through February. Um, and actually feel like I fully watched the top 60. And I was like, why am I not? Why is Taylor Hendricks not a lottery pick? And then it kept getting, and obviously we know where he ends up now for most people. I think I have him. Uh, let's see, just to be safe here. I don't want to talk out of. I've uh, got six. him six. So I so have do I. Him. Six. Okay, so really high. Yep. So it, it, it was one of those things where I'm like, if I don't, if, why, if I believe it, why the heck is it not the case? And honestly, I, I told you about this off recording, but I, I got a text from my former co-host. He was like, what do you think about this Koulibaly kid? And I'm like, I'll be honest with you. I'd rather be honest than not. I was like, I'd be honest with you. I, I'm stubborn and don't want to put him in this year's class because I think he would value. I think I, it would be really valuable for him and where he gets picked. If he goes back another year and does it. And, and like, I honestly would probably have him top five next year. No problem. Um, but honestly, after, as, after this conversation and after another look into some more things, this, uh, this coming week, as I finish the board for uh, May 1st, He's probably he's going to be ranked. It's just a matter of where because I have to do all this. Yeah, I have to I have to basically delete all the guys that went back. So that's kind of a problem that I'm going to run into. But which, um, which is fair. And then it's the other example I give. I just didn't make it not sound like oh well we both have Taylor Hendricks at six. I have to Craven on Smith at eleven, and I've had him pretty much in the lottery all year. Um, had him in the back half of the lottery, and then ultimately had him in the thirties. Uh, sorry, late twenties, early thirties last year. I think he would have been a first round pick. A guy I got to see more than fifteen times this year. So he's somebody that like once I see him in people's like rankings, I'm like, wow, I'm not alone in that island anymore. People are coming along finally, or maybe there's some reasons why or why not for him. So it's another like sometimes if you just believe it, why isn't it the case? And that's another guy I like to give us the example is I got to see him all year. I got to see the production. I know that I understand that he shoots under 40 percent from the field. I don't want to hear from anyone about it, but that's just another guy of like, I think Koulibaly is is that case for you. Just to give you a comp for me, Turquavion is the one for me is in that same vein. Well, Trevor, this was a beautiful podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed every single minute we've taken to record together. So thank you for reaching out to me to get together on a podcast in the first place. Now we we ended up getting to do it here on Home and Away. Please tell the audience everywhere they can find you and everything that you are doing in the space because it's not just one thing. You you have your hands in, in multiple cookie jars. Let the audience know everything that you're doing because they they need to be following you. They need to listen to you because I I came away very impressed with, with with you today as a scout, as an evaluator, and as a basketball mind. So I feel like everyone everyone's probably going to feel the same way, and so they need to know where to find you. First of all, thank you. First, thank you for the opportunity. I know you said you've got uh, what was that tweet? It was like six shows in seven days or something. It's like that aren't your own. So this first of all, this is this is time. a grind this week, but yeah. that nevertheless, yeah. it's basketball is a is a passion project, right? Hundred percent. That's what it is. You mentioned the cookie jar thing. Um, yeah, the cookie jars, hopefully they start to get emptied here soon as the playoffs are starting <laughs> to happen. Uh, college basketball, that one's completely empty, thank goodness. Yep. So I can at least be like, all right, two-thirds of my life is at least dedicated to two things now. Um, I like a, The timing of it was really interesting, but um, obviously, like you mentioned, and two-pointers and all that stuff will be uh, for my channel. Obviously, it'll be on the screen and every Thursday they are watching it. <laughs> um, but for those that are listening on Home and Away, 
Um, two pointers podcast is where I've been building for the last two and a half, three years. It was, it's what's given me some opportunities in this space. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Um, but also just add the, the poetic timing of literally not having any service at Portsmouth and then realizing all of my stuff for house of college hoops officially went live, uh, at a Starbucks in the middle of nowhere in Virginia was really cool. So, uh, you know, like I said, at the top officially now contributing to house of college hoops, um, as a writer, as well as a, um, contributor to everything college basketball shout out to those guys and what they and now we are building over there and just being able to just expand what what i'm am capable of hopefully and to be able to cover a lot of really cool stuff recently i'll, I'll just really quickly plug uh, i had uh, queen's university uh men's basketball coach grant leonard on okay on friday uh, shout out to coach leonard i've had a relationship with him and some of his people for a while I'm super excited to talk to him. That was really, really candid, really, really fun interview about some of the TBT stuff that he was involved in with Team Division Two. The Queens, obviously, first year in Division One, and could have honestly won the A Sun if they did not run into the buzzsaw that was Kennesaw State. I would do want to throw out there that they only lost by one in the tournament at Kennesaw State, so they really should have won that game and could have won that game. So, shout out to Queens, shout out to him, and just being able to do that opportunity. Um, Got a lot of great stuff coming. Big Board will be on the first podcast will keep coming the playoffs i'm trying to squeeze in playoff games between work schedule stuff and it's hard and just i, I rewatch a lot of nba stuff so it's just really tough right now and i'm excited like you said the draft's coming it's uh we're literally two months from like next whatever tuesday or wednesday we're, we're we're almost there the lottery's right around the corner the know, combines are, are right around the corner and there is no better spot to be up to date on all of that action, then right. with no ceilings, no ceilings, NBA.com free 99 sub stack. As we all like to say, please go make sure you're subscribed there for all of our written words. You can find us on Twitter at no ceilings, NBA, make sure you are subscribed to our YouTube channel. No ceilings, NBA. You can also find it. I'm pretty sure under no ceilings TV, they search, search, whatever you search, no ceilings, NBA on YouTube. You'll find what you need to subscribe to our channel. We have all of our podcasts there in video form. We have player and coach and, other personnel interviews up as well. We have all of our finals videos, the Trevor reference. If you need any quick video updates on prospects, need a quick film deep dive. We have all those videos up for you as well. And then of course you can follow me personally, Nathan Grubel on Twitter at draft deeper, and you can find the draft deeper podcast wherever you get your podcasts on this very feed. So make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcast, but until We meet again on this very podcast feed. Thank you all for listening to this episode. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.